The presenting sponsor for today's episode of The Buffalo Beat is Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Buffalo Beat. The Bills are now 2-1 and one on the season. We went through and really broke down exactly what happened against Washington uh, after the game. Did it again through the film and how how the passing attack got back on track with Josh Allen having his by far best game of the season. And so now the Bills shift to take on the Houston Texans, which are not probably not uh, perceived as as big of a uh, threat to win as maybe Washington was last week or Miami the week before that. But uh, but still, there's plenty of little intricacies that we can get into with the matchup. So we'll get into all that in just a bit. My name's Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on another episode. And we are here to preview the game, but also kind of taking a bigger look at where the Bills are in their season. Um, and, you know, three games in, we have a, a good sense of what this team is to this point. Maybe some of their strengths, some of their weaknesses, some trends that maybe are worth tracking as we kind of go forward. And uh, and certainly also want to know where they are in relation to the rest of the AFC and the rest of the league. And to kind of think about that from that lens, uh, I enlisted the help of somebody that uh, that works for The Athletic that I absolutely love his work. He's a nerd, just like I am. Uh, Shiel Kapadia is just an epic worker. He put put forward like a uh, a 50-plus page, or no, I'm sorry, uh, at least a couple pages on each team, about 2,000 words on each team. And somehow, I was just commenting this to, to some of my colleagues the other day, like somehow it is so tough, but he has a way of knowing in-depth intricacies of each roster. And when you're covering the whole of the league, like that is an incredible, incredibly tough task and so he works hard at it and so I really respect his opinion he uses analytics uses a little bit of everything and and so yeah I want to want to pick his brain to see where the bills are relative to the rest of the league so I think it would be a I think it'll be a fun conversation but yeah that that we'll get into in just a bit and of course break down the matchup which I'm sure uh you know some people might be looking past maybe maybe they shouldn't be but you know it should be a pretty straightforward game but before we do all that, I wanted to get into maybe what I'm most interested in tracking uh, against the Texans coming up here. And because I think it's a good spot, a good week where you know, they're probably going to win. I think that's the expectation from from everybody. They just don't have the talent from from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster that the Bills do and you know, the the Bills should win that game. It's also a good opportunity to figure out what the bills are um, with some of the areas that maybe showed some signs of future trends. And that one area that I'm looking to is totally at the line of scrimmage. Now I know, you know, last week we talked a bunch about Josh Allen and he, and he got right. And it was uh, a very impressive showing to where, you know, he was picking apart the Washington defense and everything along those lines. Um, so you don't want to absolutely push that aside because that was a, a legitimate step forward um, for, for him and them as an overall offense. But you also have to factor in what it looked like and how certain plays unraveled and maybe some missed opportunities that were left out there because of some... Uh, of some poor performances from what was in front of Josh Allen. So the offensive line to me is such an interesting factor here. You know, you have, you, you can look across the line and, and see certain strengths and weaknesses. For me, I think the, the best player along the line, the most consistent player so far has been Mitch Morse. You haven't heard a ton from him. Um, he's been a good run blocker. He's been a really good pass blocker. There's some reps where he'll rip down the defender and, and bury him into the ground. Like he, he has gone relatively unnoticed, but he has had a really strong start to his season. I also think Deion Dawkins, uh, has turned it around after a, a rough first game, which is a great sign for the bills. Their, their left tackle 
They need him to be one of their best players on offense. And the last two games, after really struggling against the Steelers in week one, I thought he's really settled in. He's looked a lot more like himself, looks quick off the snap. Uh, not perfect, but certainly getting closer to where he was. And that's exactly what the Bills needed to see after that, that first week. And even John Feliciano, to, to a certain extent, was um, has been a bit of a turnaround here. That first game was was awful for him. We all we all know that. And the matchup was bad against Cameron Hayward. But he came back against Miami. I don't believe he allowed a pressure against the Dolphins. Um, had a pretty good game against Washington this past week. So that is, uh, that is a promising sign to maybe that they have the left guard spot figured out. Because, you know, they, it was a pretty difficult matchup for uh, for Feliciano and the rest of the offensive line against Washington. Their defensive line is no joke. I mean, you've got from left to right, they had Chase Young, uh, Jonathan Allen, who is just absolutely awesome. They had Deron Payne, who had an incredible game against the Bills. And then uh, Montez Sweat is is their other edge rusher. So, I mean, their, their top four are some of the, the best in the league. And they were getting pressure on the Bills. So if it wasn't Dawkins for the most part, if it wasn't Feliciano for the most part, and it wasn't Mitch Morse for the most part, that only leaves one side of the line, and that's the right side. And this is where I think the conversation is worth is worth having. When they re-signed Daryl Williams, they saw what he did the year before. And, you know, he really came in and was a great find for them. Like, I don't think they were expecting nearly anything um, from as to what they got from Daryl Williams on a low-cost, low-risk, one-year deal. Um, and they wound up getting a an every-week starting right tackle who looked quicker than he had uh, in years past. He looked um, just more in control. I, I, I remember back to him working against TJ Watt last year and coming away so impressed because I wasn't sure how that matchup was going to go. You know, Daryl Williams, for as, as good as he had played leading up to that game, you know, he he's not the the most quick-footed um, offensive lineman and certainly not the most quick-footed offensive tackle to where I thought Watt could have really given him some troubles. But Williams did a really nice job on, on TJ Watt uh, in 2020. But then you fast forward to 2021 – and Williams was not good whatsoever. Watt completely dominated the matchup. Did it on basically his first week of full practices because he had to hold in the entire summer. And they and they finally got came to a deal uh, just before the Bills took on the Steelers. And Watt was just explosive. He was constantly in the backfield. And Williams, a lot of time, was in was one on one against him and allowed all these pressures. So that is. That was not encouraging, and it hasn't gotten markedly better over the last uh, the last couple of weeks. So when you have that issue arising, you're like, all right, so what what's going on here with Darrell Williams? Is he that same guy? Is he can he be that right tackle for you moving forward, um, and and help you get to the places you need to go and help your passing offense because. You know, last week against Washington, there were quite a few times where Daryl Williams and Cody Ford, who's at right guard, allowed pressure to get in on Josh Allen to where he had to sidestep. And I, you know, I saw some after I put out my film review, I, I you know, you, you scroll through the comments every once in a while. And, you know, I, I saw one commenter say, hey, well, what if what if they were doing it by design? They were letting the pressure pressure in by design that no. They're they're not actively letting defensive linemen get into the pocket just so Josh Allen can sidestep. They would like a pristine pocket, and they weren't getting that. And Allen made it look like less of a problem than it was because he's so good at maneuvering, and he was his poise was excellent in how he maneuvered around the pocket, sidestepped. Uh, took a step up, stepped into his throws. It was just a full mark showing from him. But the right side of the line really didn't do him any favors. Williams had a better day than what Cody Ford did. And this is where the conversation gets kind of two-pronged here. Because Cody Ford, third-year guy, obviously a critical season for him. 
has not had the success that they wanted to wanted him to. He has been in and out of the lineup, whether it be because they were splitting reps as a right tackle his first year or because of injury last year. Uh, it just had the the game plan has not gone according to what they they thought it would. And this past week, I it's this is not an over exaggeration. He had one of the worst pass blocking performances of any offensive lineman in the entire season. Like one single week, he allowed eleven pressures according to Pro Football Focus. And when you watch the film, you're like, wow, Deron Payne was in the backfield constantly, and usually it was Cody Ford's fault. And fast forward to week two, or I'm sorry, rewind to week two when he was up against Miami, a much, not really as good of a defensive line. He allowed, I believe, five pressures, if, if I'm not mistaken. And that was a complete reversal from what they saw in the first week. I mean, Cody Ford looked good in, in the first, uh, first week. Certainly above average. Good might be a stretch, but above average. Average to above average. And that's what you want to see from him in his first game. It got to the point where they didn't even want to put Ike Butker out there anymore. But now, he has... He has struggled considerably the last two weeks. And you have to think to the Bills and their history, right? I mean, they have a lot of examples under Sean McDermott of them making early season changes along the offensive line. I'll give you three examples. 2017, uh, they benched guard, starting guard John Miller after only four games. So there's your first one. The next year, the Bills benched Ryan Groy, who was, by all means, Cody Ford is better is a better player than Ryan Groy. But they benched Ryan Groy after just two games. So they weren't totally committed to that. And then in 2020, they did the same thing with Quentin Spain. They benched him after two games after he massively underperformed. And then when you think about their whole stance on third-year players that they've drafted and wanting to come to a conclusion as to what they are and how much they can contribute, look no further than Zay Jones. I mean, it was early in the year when they ended up basically benching him. Then they traded him. It was a very quick decision. So I don't know if we're there yet on Cody Ford. I think it's at least worth a conversation. Um, The other factor to all this is that... Spencer Brown, the right tackle, really looked good in in the uh, eight snaps that he got at the end of the game. And that's not like, you can't totally base your entire decision on that, but you can also base it off how he looked in the preseason when he was at, when he was at right tackle um, against the Bears. Uh, that preseason game really stood out. And even in eight snaps, he buried his assignment twice uh, against Washington. So I don't know if this is this is like a, a thought process for them. You know, I think it's at we at least knowing their history, it's at least worthy of the conversation because Daryl Williams, you know, even Brandon Bean admitted it um, in the offseason that they thought Daryl Williams would probably factor in a guard for them when they initially signed him. Who's to say that that thought has left their mind? Like if they feel like they've seen enough from Spencer Brown in practices or they've seen enough from Cody Ford in games and they think maybe Daryl Williams could benefit from a move inside because he's a, he really struggles against some of the uh, the quicker edge rushers out there. You know, I think anything could be on the table for that right side of the line because it, it has been a problem so far this season. They can't have Josh Allen continuing to sidestep pressure and step into potentially... Um, injury-inducing hits. Like the one, I remember the one deep ball to Stefan Diggs down the right sideline that came nowhere close. That would have been a touchdown. But Cody Ford blew the block and Deron Payne was about to take out Josh Allen's knee. So Allen, you know, smartly did not step into the throw, kind of just lofted it and, and got it out of his hands. But, you know, that if Cody Ford holds his block there, then... That's probably a touchdown. And Stephon, we are not talking about Stefan Diggs and whether or not he's uh, going through a an early season funk or whatever you want to call it. I think that's overblown. But, you know, I, I wrote more about that um, over in my five thoughts column at, at uh, theathletic.com. 
So that's at least worthy of a conversation. And I went a little bit long on the offensive line, but I think, you know, the early season stuff, especially with their history and how they've kind of switched things around, it's at least kind of worth thinking about. It might not happen this week, um, but if Cody Ford and Daryl Williams continue to struggle, that it's got to be a conversation that they have inside the building. Um, the defensive line is one that I think really needs to kind of step it up here. Because we saw them look really good against Miami to the point of six sacks, tons of pressure. Um, they just dominated that matchup. But the one thing that Miami had that that did not fall in line with Washington's offensive line is that Miami had one of the worst, if not the worst, offensive line in football. Washington is average to slightly above average. They've got some good players. They've got a really stinking good guard. Really good interior play. But their tackles, you know, they, they can be beaten. They had a rookie starting at right tackle. Looked good in week two, but struggled significantly in week one. So you wonder, okay, what is going on with the pass rush here? And it's not for a lack of opportunity either. Taylor, he Taylor Heineke held the ball on average 3.2 seconds per drop back, which is so much time for defensive linemen. Like, we were sitting here talking about Ben Roethlisberger and how they didn't get pressure on him after the first week. But Ben Roethlisberger got the ball out in 2.17 seconds on average. So tack an extra second onto that. And that's an eternity for defensive linemen. And it's not even as though that Washington was, you know, doing max protect stuff. It was usually five offensive linemen against four pass rushers. And... What was happening was, quite plainly, the guys all across the line were not winning their one-on-one -on -one matchups. Give me any pass rusher, and I'll tell you that they did not have a good game. Mario Addison, really bad game. A.J. Epinesa, pretty bad game. Ed Oliver, did not like him as a pass rusher at all. And I've, I've felt like that the last two games, actually. He needs to step it up after he flashed a little bit against the Steelers. Um, Greg Rousseau was not getting off his blocks nearly enough. Jerry Hughes, not his best game. Um, and we've seen a lot of good Jerry games over the years, but that that was not the one for him. You know, Vernon Butler, uh, Justin Zimmer, basically everybody, they were not winning their one-on-ones. And they put way too much pressure on their secondary and their linebackers to, to cover for longer. And I honestly believe that if it had not been for Taylor Heineke being the replacement level quarterback that he is, that game's probably a, a lot closer because of how many missed opportunities maybe he had, how many opportunities he gave to the Bills defense just by making some reckless decisions. The pass rush needs to be better. The pass rush needs to get home. They need to work in unison. And this week against Houston, it's going to be a bit of a test for them because I don't think Houston is as bad as Miami, but they're also not as good as Washington's offensive line to the point where we can get a gauge as to where this group is heading into the season or heading into week four of the year and whether or not this is going to be something to track because, the, you know, the pass rush throughout the entire offseason, we were sitting here going, okay, well, this is, uh, this is the area that the Bills focused on intently to improve. And they added a bunch. They really did. I mean, Greg Rousseau, F.A. Obata, Boogie Basham, two of which are healthy scratches the last two weeks. But, you know, they they think they have something in Greg Rousseau. And at least against Miami in week two, he looked really good. But now prove it against better offensive line competition. They need to. Otherwise, these talented quarterbacks are going to pick them apart. Because that's if you're not generating pressure then you are leaving your zone coverage, your usual zone coverage, in a rough, rough spot. So yeah, this bears watching moving forward, and uh, and we'll see if they uh, if they're able to um, get it together to the point in which we're not talking about this anymore. But that game against Washington, it's not a trend. Don't get me wrong. Like it's not like oh the sky is falling, the pass rush stinks, anything like that. It's just eyebrow raising. And you want to see how the team reacts to that. You could tell even the week after, Sean McDermott was not happy with their pass rush. So 
we'll see what 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 they do from here. This is a very important game for them, especially going up against a rookie quarterback uh, to see if they can get it together. Or perhaps maybe even if the, the Bills try and um, influence their pass rush with with rushing more than four just to just to get things going. I wouldn't put that past Leslie Frazier either. So both the offensive line and the defensive line bears watching this week. And it's a game that the Bills probably should win, like I said. But, you know, you can extrapolate information and how it moves forward, even if it is a breezy win, like a lot of people are expecting. But we'll get into the matchup in just a bit. All right, so rather than me continuing to bloviate about the offensive and defensive line, let's bring in someone to take a broad view of the NFL, the AFC, where the the Bills kind of slot in. And I said at the beginning of the show, super excited to have this guy on the podcast, Sheil Kapadia, who just does an absolutely amazing job. He published, I don't even know how he did it, he published a ridiculous uh, preview of every single team, just tons of words on each team. Like, honestly... Sheil, I don't know how you know so much about every single team. So thank you for for gracing us with that knowledge on the Buffalo beat here today. You just got to speak confidently, pretend you belong, pretend you know what you're talking about. And uh, when someone calls you out, you just ignore them, block them, mute them, whatever you have to do. So uh, good to be with you, Joe. I enjoy watching the team you cover. I enjoyed visiting with you uh, during training camp. So happy to be here. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, let's start with the Bills. I mean, based on... You know, the, the first week we all saw that it was kind of a a weird loss. I mean, even in your preview, you expected the Steelers to kind of come back to earth this year, and and they kind of have the last couple of weeks. Um, so, what have you seen from the Bills in the broad view from the first three weeks, and uh, certainly how they how they fit into what their expectations were. Yeah, I think week one uh, is always a little bit weird, and I don't think that's a great matchup for them, even going back to uh, last year, of course, when when they played the Steelers, the offense didn't play great. So I kind of just threw that out the window. Now, week two, you know, as you know, and I'm sure you've talked about and written about, they win 35 nothing. But watching that game, I was still sort of like, hey, this offense does not look like the offense I saw uh, really in the second half of last season. And that was one thing about the Bills coming into the year where, uh, you know, you can look at their uh, playoff performance last year and view it in a number of different ways. But, uh, you know, I remember just taking it sort of in the aggregate, the three games that they played in the postseason and looking at their offensive numbers and they were pretty mediocre. You know, it wasn't like the what we saw for a lot of last year where they just looked unstoppable. So last week was the first time I watched the Bills and I said, okay, this is the team that I was sort of expecting coming into the season, the team that really does have that legit Super Bowl ceiling, the offense that just drives down the field at will, making plays, whether it's uh, in, you know play calls or outside the structure of the offense where Josh Allen is improvising and just finding guys downfield. So, uh, you know, that was a very encouraging win to me where they faced Washington and they really just dominated that game, um, you know, from, from start, uh, from start to finish there. I, I know the, the score wasn't close, but it probably, uh, you know, the actual performance it felt like was even better yeah. than the score score indicated. So I think that's going to be more of what we see, you know, it's hard not to overreact in the first couple of weeks because we're so starved for football and we want to draw big conclusions based on uh, a small sample. But that to me, looked more of like what we're going to see from the Bills going forward. And I think their defense has been pretty consistent throughout. You know, it was a group I thought really could take a step forward this year, just getting a guy like Matt Milano uh, back healthy, some of the luck, some of the randomness going in their direction. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some of the stats, the EPA uh, expected points added, EPA per snap through the first three weeks, uh, they have the best defense in the NFL. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's notable and, it, it, it I also wonder like partially how much it's um it's the opponents that they've gone up against because the first two offensive lines they went up against were were not great and they dominated at, at the line of scrimmage um and and then last week they had Taylor Heineke so I wonder my the one of the major things I've been thinking about this whole week is how sustainable is this defense especially when things start to get a little bit more real and Mr. Mahomes come comes knocking 
Yeah, it, it's absolutely fair. You know, that the stat I mentioned is not it's not adjusted for opponent. And certainly yeah. they've um, you know, they've benefited from that through the first three weeks. So, I, you know, I don't think they're going to be like a top uh, three defense. But uh, I think coming into the season, I, I did a piece just ranking every defense in the NFL projecting where I thought they could be. And I think I had the bills at seven or eight. So I do think they could be like a top 10 unit. Uh, but it is going to be fun to watch when they face some of these really good offenses in the weeks ahead. Uh, the Chiefs, the Titans. Titans. Uh, I think if, to me, it's all about those young guys on the defensive line. And it's mm-hmm. like, they don't need all of those guys to hit, you know, you're not gonna, you're missing the draft. Some guys are okay. Some guys are competent, but if you can just get like one or two of those guys to be, I don't you know, difference makers that even might be stretching it too far just uh, to make an impact here and there where you've really watched them pretty consistently, whether it's uh, Ed Oliver, uh, Rousseau, you know, any of those, Epinesa, any of those guys, you need like one or two of them to just sort of be make an impact on a weekly basis. And I do think the structure of the defense is sound. I think the coaching is sound, uh, you, you know, obviously not, not great at the second cornerback spot, but they've got enough talent and I feel like they're fundamentally sound that they, they should be able to hold up in a lot of those games. Yeah. And, and uh, that the, the three you brought up are the, the perfect, like that, those are the, those are the flip guys, right? Like Epinesa, yeah. Oliver and, and Rousseau, if you get, one of those guys to hit in a big way this year, you're probably doing a lot better against um, some of these elite quarterbacks and getting through and providing pr- the pressure that quite honestly, they, they just weren't last year. And and that's going to be kind of like a, a thing for them is, I mean, Oliver has been kind of up and down this year, mostly down the last couple of weeks. Rousseau had a, had a weird week this past one. Epinesa dominated week two and then was was nowhere to be found against Washington. So it, it's it, it, they're very much young players. And so they have to go through these growing pains. Yeah, and you look at it just sort of the over, you know, zooming out and looking at the formula. You look at some of these teams, whether it's the Chiefs or the Cowboys, and it's like these teams are built on having a great offense and like a defense that can do just enough. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, like it, obviously you want to hit on both sides of the ball, then you're uh, a Super Bowl contender and you're you're feeling good. You can win in different types of ways. But to me, the Bills like are are a step ahead of those teams because you look at it, and I think their offense can certainly be a top five unit. We saw it last year. We're expecting it this year, and so the formula of having a great offense and like a mediocre defense that usually lends itself to pretty good results like you know you can make it to the to the championship game or the divisional round maybe even the Super Bowl some years depending on just how good that offense is Uh, and I think where the Bills you know differ a little bit from some of these other teams is that their defense does have a higher ceiling so like you mentioned we don't know if they're going to get there it really does depend on the development of some of those younger defensive linemen but I do think they have a ceiling that maybe some of those other teams uh, don't have where, where they could be able to win some of these games in different types of ways yeah so I mean you just you just said it let's let's zoom out and I'm I'm interested about the rest of the AFC because you know how it is when you're when you're covering one team you're so hyper focused on the one team and knowing everything about them that you know that sometimes you don't get the opportunity to watch a lot of the teams around the league on a week-to-week basis but you do and so like the AFC is very compelling this year because there are a lot of teams that you did not think would be as good as they are from a record standpoint right now, but they're chilling up in the top five of the AFC standings <laughs> right now. So like teams like Vegas, Cincinnati, Denver, I think to a certain degree, we, we uh, kind of expected the Chargers to make a jump up, but like those three teams, Vegas, Cincinnati, and Denver, like from what you have seen, who is for real, who um, so far this year, who has promising signs for sustained success and who might be a little bit fluky early on. Yeah, I'm trying to say this without being condescending. I was about to call them like cute, cute teams, but I don't that sort of might I, I don't know. That I'll feels kind it. of that feels kind of mean because I, you know, it's not that I dislike those teams, but they're just at a different stage than uh, you know, a team like the Chiefs or the Bills, where you know, those teams you're saying, all right, we have legitimate chances to get to the Super Bowl. The teams you mentioned, like if they make the playoffs, their fan bases are going to be thrilled. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Raiders uh, are a team that really, if you look at it over the last three years, their offense has been really efficient. You know, everybody makes fun of John Gruden, and I get it. I do it too because some of their personnel moves have been complete 
elite head scratchers. And, you know, I, I don't know that they know how to sort of build that team properly. But if you just look at it from sort of schematics and play calling and maximizing your efficiency on offense, like for three years running, they, they've been pretty good. And this year has been another level. Derek Carr's really pushing the ball downfield. They're passing the ball more like we've seen the Bills do on early downs and, and really being aggressive. So uh, I do like that offense a lot. I, I think that can be a top 10 offense. And defensively, they've been such a disaster in recent <laughs> years, like, you know, not just kind of bad, you know, really among the league's worst year in and year out. And so I'm not totally buying them on that side of the ball quite yet. They look improved, but I need to see more there. So I think they could be like a plucky team that's competing for a wild card spot for sure. You know, I don't know that the ceiling is going to be uh, much higher than that, but I think they'll be competitive. Uh, the Broncos are a team I liked coming into the season just because uh, I think Vic Fangio is really one of the best defensive coaches in the NFL. I think they've got good talent on that side of the ball. And offensively, I thought, you know what, if they can just be sort of mediocre, that's going to be a huge step um, above what they had last year. And Teddy Bridgewater's been really good. You know, he hasn't just been mediocre. He's been good. He's been aggressive. They've been pushing the ball downfield. So uh, I like the Broncos as, uh, again, a team that can really, you know, make the playoffs, be competitive. I think they could be a tough matchup excuse me, because they are so well coached defensively. And then the other team, the Bengals, you know, uh, I, I'm, I loved what I saw from Joe, Joe Burrow in that Thursday night game. Uh, I think they're going to have some issues still when they face better teams, whether it's their offensive line uh, or their defense. So, um, you know, I, I think they're probably, I would be surprised if they made the playoffs, but um, you know, I think they'll probably be around uh, may maybe hovering around 500. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean the the Bengals they, they, they needed that that last second win over Jacksonville and you know, not, not exactly ideal, but they got it done. So you know, good good, good for them. Nice early season start. <laughs> um, I think the thing most Bills fans want to know is what the heck is going on with Kansas City right now because they're one and two. They're the Bills' rivals without the Chiefs knowing that the Bills are their rivals um, because of just how how aligned that you know, these their stories kind of are. You know, the Bills traded the the pick that that wound up being Mahomes, um, and then you know facing off against one another in the AFC Championship game. It's always been a measuring stick for for the Bills, measuring stick game for the Bills every time they played them, and every time the Bills haven't lived up to what they had hoped to be. So what is going on with Kansas City right now? And is there some cause for concern with, with the Chiefs at one and two? Uh, I, I would say no. I, I don't okay. think that the Chiefs should be panicking at all. If you look at their offense, you know, just on a like a per snap basis and just watching them, the eye test, it, it's still explosive. It's still the one if you had to kind of hang your hat on any any offense in the NFL or bet your mortgage over whatever dumb cliche you're saying that yeah, I'm I don't want to do the, either of those screwing things. up. Yeah, I, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Uh, but yeah, I think hopefully, hopefully you get the point there that I think their offense is going to be just fine. They've turned the ball over. You know, that, that's been the big thing. They've got six turnovers through the first three games last week against the Chargers. They turn it over on their first three possessions, and then they're still in position, position mm. to win that game. So as long as they have Mahomes, you know, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, the offensive line, like they're going to be able to compete and score on anybody. They're going to be there in the end, uh, you know, but they are one and two. And so when you look at just sort of down the road and, hey, who's going to get that top seed? in the AFC and earn that buy in the playoffs. You know, I do think that's totally up for grabs right now, obviously. And that's something Bills fans have to keep an eye on. And then the other sure. interesting thing is how, how teams have coached against the Chiefs this year. You know, if you look at it through three games, uh, Kevin Stefanski, John Harbaugh, and Brandon Staley, there's really been this approach of, we need to manage this game differently against the Chiefs than we would against other teams. And that means mm -hmm. being aggressive. You know, you can't settle for field goals in the uh, in the red zone against the Chiefs. You you know, you need to go for it on fourth down. You know you're not going to, if you feel like you're stopping Mahomes, it's only for a matter of time. You know, you're not going to be forcing three and outs against that offense. So that's what's been interesting to me. It's really been the case, uh, I think, how teams, 
should approach playing the Chiefs really for like the last three years. And you've seen some teams do it uh, a little bit here, a little bit there, but they haven't done it consistently. And so uh, I think when you look at it this year, I, I don't know if it's a trend or what. We'll see if other coaches do the same things, but they have coached differently uh, against the Chiefs. And, and really looking back to that AFC Championship game last year, you know, I, I don't know that Sean uh, McDermott did that. In that game, even though I, you know, I think the game management for the most part has been good with the Bills, and they've been aggressive. Uh, there certainly, obviously, as you as you guys have talked about and written about, there were times in that game where they could have been a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, I think I think fans immediately thought of them deciding to go for a field goal at the end of the first half rather than pushing for points, and that was just like the 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 spot where I think a lot of people felt like you know our. It, are they just laying up or you know laying down playing dead at this point because you're not going to you're not going to get back at the chiefs and the way McDermott explained it after the fact was like you know wanted to get points on the board rather than go in with a goose egg but right. what, what good does that do you i mean it's it's very old justification and he usually isn't like that they have an analytics guy on the sideline in in Drew Lock or not Chad Drew Lock uh they have an, that's hilarious. that will be the biggest story in the NFL Joe <laughs> if somehow you just broke on this podcast no one knew but oh. somehow they acquired Drew uh, yeah we're it's friday you know is a week full of I know. Uh, takes and we're struggling but i got to tell you i would be very excited about that if that if he was the guy <laughs> i know dennis Locke is his name drew Locke. um but yeah they they have they have someone on the sideline that helps influence their decisions and with like that's why it was kind of weird that in the biggest moment they decided not to do it so i, I that bears watching that's very interesting what you're saying with these these smart teams that are are approaching the chiefs differently now the the last thing i wanted to, to ask you um was you know, everyone, basically everyone was picking either the Bills, Chiefs, maybe some the Ravens. And, you know, Ravens are going through their stuff this year. They've just so many injuries. So if it's not one of those three teams, in your mind, who is the biggest competition to stealing a bid to the Super Bowl from the AFC this year? Hmm. I'm looking at two teams here. Uh, you know, let me. Uh, I can talk about uh, both of them, but it's really the Browns and the Chargers are the mm -hmm. two that really stick out to me. You know, I think the Browns have a, in some ways are similar to the Bills in that I think if you just look at like the roster, the entire roster and hey, where are the weaknesses on this roster? They're right there. I mean, they're strong uh, up front on the offensive line. Once they get a little bit healthier at the skill positions offensively, they're good there. They upgraded the talent on their defense and hasn't all come together quite yet, but I do, I do like the talent on that side of the ball. So I think the Browns are legit. I think they're going to be, uh, they're going to be in the mix, uh, whether they win that division, you know, I, I think I would pick them to win yeah. that division. Uh, but if not, you know, certainly to be a, a very good wild card team. So their ceiling just depends on the quarterback. You know, how is Baker Mayfield going to be a solid, good starter that we've seen who can run that offense and be efficient? Or does he have another level to get to where he can just sort of carve teams up when he gets in a shootout against some of these other teams, whether it's the Bills or, or the Chiefs or whoever they play? So I would mention the Browns and then the Sleeper. And, uh, you know, I, I've been all in on this team since the preseason and they're they're two and one so far. So it's not like they've uh, lit the world on fire. But the Chargers are, have to be a team to watch just because mm -hmm. the quarterback is so freaking good. I mean, you know, we, we really could be talking about him as a top five quarterback in the NFL by the end of this season, Justin wow. Herbert. And I think he's been great. I think he's been much better than the numbers indicate so far this year. They've had some sort of flukiness in the red zone where, you know, Keenan Allen uh, falls on a, on a route and they throw an interception uh, in the red zone and some other weird stuff has sort of happened that I think is small sample related. And so uh, I, I, nothing I've seen from Herbert makes me sort of temper my expectations of what I thought he could be coming into the season. And so if you look at a team that's sort of could be the version of last year's bills, uh, I think it's that Chargers team because I think we could look at, you know, week 10, week 11 and say, wow, this team is scoring more points than anybody. Uh, they're well coached and maybe their defense is doing just enough. So uh, I'm not going to predict them to go to the Super Bowl, but man, I've sure. got my eye on them uh, every week because they're really fun to watch. And I do think they have a high ceiling. 
Yeah, I mean, there's always one team that'll sneak up on you. Like the Bills were kind of that team last year. And so, I mean, all you need is a little bit of luck, the randomness to go your way, and and a good quarterback. And that's it's pretty pretty uh, good um, way to go about it. Yeah, abs- absolutely. That you you nailed it right there with uh with, you know with, with what their formula would be for sort of exceeding expectations. I just I just realized that we've talked about four AFC West teams and kind of in a glowing fashion. Like, are they going <laughs> to mess around and get four teams into the playoffs this year? This is kind of ridiculous that they're all so good. It's the AFC West and the NFC West, right? I mean, both. Right. Yeah, but both are uh, really strong. I mean, I think the I think when all is said in the AFC West, I, I like the Chiefs and the Chargers, and then it's probably one of the other two teams has a okay. real shot to get it. But they're both three and zero. I mean, you start three and zero, you've got a great shot. The Broncos are a plus. You know, I know they've they've played terrible teams so far, but they're a plus fifty point differential that's tied with the bills for the best in the AFC. So I don't think it's fluky. I just, you know, I, I think they'll come back down to earth yeah. a little bit there. And, you know, at least one of those teams will probably finish with seven or eight wins rather than maybe the, the 10 or 11 that it might take to make the playoffs. Awesome. Well, shield, this has been excellent. I'm sure our listeners have loved learning about, you know, some of the the in-depth stuff from an, an analytic standpoint and just from just from things that you've seen so far. So thank you so much for for jumping on the podcast today. This has been awesome. Absolutely. Happy to join anytime. Thanks for having me, Joe. All right. That was Shiel Kapadia. All right. So much good stuff from Shiel there. He is very well versed with the entire league. And, you know, just getting a, a good, broad sense of what the AFC is looking like right now. Because, you know, it's always good to know, like, a contender from a pretender. And, um, yeah, it, that's, you know, I, I need to know if Vegas or Denver were for real. But, but yeah, I think I think he's right. And the Chargers are a, a very daunting foe, especially with how good they're defensively structured. So, with that bears watching as, as we kind of move on in the season here uh, and keeping all those teams in mind as the Bills move on in their season. All right, let's get into the uh, the matchup itself. We haven't talked too much about the Texans just yet. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty uneven spread. I, like, it's... The Bills aren't going to stumble a, across a, a line like this all that often. Um... <laughs> It's to the point where people are bringing up the game in which the Bills upset the Minnesota Vikings back in 2018, uh, and it, they it was uh, they were 17 point dogs at one point in the week. Maybe it ended at 16 and a half. It was all right around that range. But the Bills opened up this week as 17 point favorites against the Texans. It's now up to 17 and a half. So people are betting the Bills. Um, and the, it's not as though the over-under is all that great. The over-under is at 47. So it's people are not all that hopeful that the, uh, that the Texans are going to put up points and that they're going to stop the Bills. But I will just tell you some things that I saw from the Texans that maybe, you know, you're, you're not expecting as much. Um, the Texans, you know, you have a certain expectation because you see – a 17 point spread. You hear all of the things that went wrong in the off season. You, you hear like all of these moves and not having draft picks for the first two rounds and then using it on a, on a third round quarterback, your, your very first one, you see all of these things. And you're like, Oh my goodness, this is the worst team in the NFL. After watching them against, uh, uh, you know, the, in the, in the early parts of the season here and watching their film specifically, they don't look like the worst team in the NFL. Um, their record might wind up being the worst team in the NFL. Like, they'll be in the conversation. But they don't... I, I came away kind of impressed by some pieces. Like, they, of course, they have a bunch of weaknesses. I think it's, it's more so a case of them having... Their top-end talent is nowhere close to what the Bills' top-end talent is right now. And their depth is nowhere close to what the Bills have right now. But they do have some good players. And I'll, I'll just go right down the list. I mean, Brandon Cooks is the one everybody knows because he leads the league in air yards. They look for him constantly. Um, and uh, for fantasy football reasons, everyone knows that Brandon Cooks is having a good season. But outside of that, like Laramie Tunsil is still there. He's having a good year at, at left tackle. 
Um, defensively is where I think that they have their most talent. The guy that really stood out to me was uh, Malik Collins uh, right in the the middle of their defense. He's usually their three-technique defensive tackle. He's someone that, that if you're not careful, that can wreck through an interior lineman and and ruin a play like I saw him doing doing it a lot against Carolina and even one of their their rotational guys Ross Blacklock he um, flashed on some plays on pass rushing snaps so they do have some guys there Um, Zach Cunningham their linebacker he is so good against the run he is so instinctive very fast very quick to react and that is going that helps him, and it makes me wonder how much this rushing attack will be involved against the Texans. Um, but the drawback on Zach Cunningham, which is why he's not like one of the best linebackers in the game, is that he really commits to the run to the point where it could be a problem with play action um, and and him trying to commit to to get to the spot more than anything. So, uh, but he's he's definitely uh, an absolute awesome run defender and then their nickel corner uh Desmond King is someone that I've always really liked uh I think he's physical he's fast he can stick with um with most assignments against slot receivers I think this is the type of guy that can give Cole Beasley a game as opposed to a lot of the nickel corners out there because there's not a lot of talent at, at that position so I, I just look at, at, at him and go, okay, well, I, I see that there's there's some talent there. Um, and then their, their free safety, Lonnie Johnson. I didn't get a, a great read from him, but you know I, I do think there is some talent there, there to where you have to – I don't know. He usually shades to one side or the other. I don't know that you necessarily want, want to test him uh, deep when, when he's shaded to the one side of the field. But if you can get him off his spot then, uh, and attack the other side, then, then that's probably where you're going to make your hay. So there are some good pieces, right? I mean, there's, and I know there a lot of people are looking at uh, their their running backs. Uh, you know, they're they're kind of just retreads. Um, they've got four of them that they use. Like it's Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, uh, David Johnson, and Rex Burkhead. Like that's that's their that's their four running backs that they they like to use them. They give them all snaps, and the big. Calling card here is Davis Mills, right? I mean, the the quarterback, he's going to be making his second start for the Texans. Um, I was expecting him to be a lot worse on film than he was. And it's not to say that, like, he was great, but this is a guy who, in my opinion, is better to attack the Bills' defense than Taylor Heineke. Now, there are certain mitigating factors here. Because Washington has a better offensive line in totality than Houston. Um, and the one thing that Heineke can do that Davis Mills cannot do is Heineke can get out of the pocket and run. And Mills, he moves around the pocket and he's he's more of a... He, he doesn't... Um, he's not the type to break the contain and then get out on the run and gain yards that way. But he he does a, a nice enough job of, you know, stepping up against pressure occasionally. However, there is one big drawback to Davis Mills, um, you know, because when it's perfect, he can make a ton of throws. He he threw a dime on a post corner at, at one point against uh, Carolina and read the defense and kind of manipulated it out of the way. It was it was impressive, and he's not a one read guy either. Like I, I've seen him you know, go through his progression. So the bills will have to be on it, but his flaw right now is when Carolina sent external pressure at him outside of the front four, or they just changed it up a little bit and did like an overload blitz. Um, he shows the tendency to panic back there a little bit, which makes me think that this is going to be something that the bills and Leslie Frazier spot, you know, last week against Washington, they didn't do much blitzing. They basically went with their front four and tried to win one-on-one matchups and focused a lot on coverage and just basically believed that Taylor Heineke would eventually make a, make a mistake. And they, they were right. He made multiple mistakes. And they wound up with two interceptions, almost three, if it wasn't for a penalty. And and so they, they drew up the proper game plan against him. 
I don't think they can get away with only sending four in this game because I think they can create opportunities for themselves by doing overload blitzes to the right or um, doing multiple stunts along the line, which is something the Houston offensive line showed some problems with against Carolina. That's where they, they got their pressure. Because if you can get in Davis Mills' brain a little bit and he sees like it's kind of caving in on him, he's going to take a weird step back and he's not gonna he's not gonna escape the pocket. And from that point forward, that's where opportunities for turnovers come into play. It's where opportunities for sacks come into play, and and certainly for him to just throw the ball away and and get the defense off the field in that perspective. So I do think there's opportunity there, um, and you know, but I also think he's a better quarterback than Taylor Heineke, just with a worse surrounding cast around him. So I I think. So that's one thing to look from look at from a defensive perspective, especially with how much they struggled to sustain pressure against uh, Washington last week. The defensive line we're talking about, like we did earlier in the show, I think that's a, that's a spot where um, you look at them to try and influence that pressure with Tremaine Edmonds, Taron Johnson, if he plays, um, and uh, Matt Milano, um, maybe even Levi Wallace, a, a safety. Um, just something to kind of to kind of change it up and and give Davis Mills a, a bit of a different look. Offensively, I think this is a blow up spot for the, for the uh, for the Bills offense again, and I I kind of wonder how they're going to play it. Um, uh, by them I mean the Texans because in their first two weeks they were heavy zone defense, but last week against Carolina they basically went. Uh, man every other play. Uh, and I wonder if maybe that was personnel induced. Maybe that was something they spotted on film against Carolina, but they did have some success against Carolina doing it that way. So I, I do wonder, especially since the bills just spiked the Washington zone and crushed them for over 300 yards and five total touchdowns that maybe Houston tries to go man to man coverage, but regardless of the coverage, I think both Emmanuel Sanders and Stefan Diggs have a potential huge outcome in this game. Like Stefan Diggs, I think is going, is going to uh, end his early season struggle. If you want to call it that way, he's got 19 catches for over 190 yards. Um, but all the signs are there of a huge breakout game, just not only from what he has done so far, but from a matchup perspective too, you have Stefan Diggs, um, He's third in the league in total air yards at 409. He's 15th in the league in target share at 25.6% amongst uh, wide receivers that have ran at least 50 routes. Like he is a monster usage guy and it just hasn't clicked whether it was, you know, maybe a couple of plays, maybe a few plays uh, where he's going down the sideline and um, either he wants a back shoulder and Josh Allen wants the deep ball or vice versa. Like they didn't click on that, on that one. There was another play down the deep middle on a deep post, uh, where the Washington cornerback barely got a hand on Diggs arm as the ball was coming in and, and, you know, barely uh, forced an incompletion. That would have been a, what was it? A 59 or a 43 yard touchdown or something like that. Um, earlier in that drive, uh, when Stefan Diggs completely, broke the defense, got over the top against the zone. Um, he was wide open down the right sideline. Allen spotted him, but then Cody Ford blew his block. And um, if Allen stepped into it, Allen's probably probably gets a touchdown on that play, but there's a good chance he gets injured uh, by stepping into that. By the way, Der Ron Payne was was bearing down on him. So um, that, that was a potential big play that could have changed the outcome of his day. A 59-yard touchdown that would have made it go from a 60... A uh, 62-yard day on six catches to, you know, 120-ish um, on seven catches and a touchdown. It, it's a complete flipper. So all of the evidence is there from the usage. And from a matchup perspective, man, it, it's it's going to be tough for Houston to contain Stefan Diggs, I think. Vernon Hargraves is, you know, replacement level. Tremont Smith on the other side, I don't know that they'll want to have digs going up against him too often but whether it's zone or man i think digs is in a huge position to 
kickstart his season and have one of those spike games. Um, in zone, Hargraves is a little bit hesitant to to react, and you know a quicker footed route runner can really give him problems on the underneath to uh, to short to intermediate stuff. Man coverage, I think the quicker footed receivers are going to give him problems and uh, and give him the opportunity uh, to you know, be separated from by one to two yards, especially going up against a guy like Stefan Diggs. And the Texans really lack the pass rush from the ends to to make Josh Allen's life a nightmare. So if they're in man, deep crossers all day to Stefan Diggs or to Emmanuel Sanders. Like the, that, both of those matchups, one against Vernon Hargreaves, the other against Tremont Smith, Ripe for the picking for the Bills passing offense, so I'm I'm expecting a, a a pretty big start from from the passing offense in this game, and then and then going from there. So if you know you you have a uh, an antsy uh, fellow league member in fantasy football, like we play, we all play fantasy football. So if you have a an antsy fantasy football member that ha- that drafted Stefan Diggs early and hasn't gotten the type of return he wanted out of his first or second round pick, the buy low window is probably going to slam. Well, I think, I think it has a good chance of, of slamming shut by the time the, uh, uh, by the time the bills Texans game goes final. I think, I think there's a huge opportunity for him. And with that, I think that kind of leads us into our prediction here. I don't think it's any secret. The bills are 17 and a half point favorites. Um, they're, 40, the over-under is 47, and you look at how these two teams um, how these two teams match up, I don't think it's going to be a huge, uh, you know, the Texans are better than, than their reputation, but they're also not good enough to beat the Bills in, in a game like this one, I don't think. So um, there are some things to keep an eye on from a Bills perspective that could shift some things like, you know, I'm recording this on Friday before I head over to practice. So uh, Jordan Poyer hasn't practiced yet this week with an ankle injury. So he might be out. And that would mean Jaquan Johnson gets his first real start in the NFL. Um, You also have Taron Johnson, who was limited with a groin injury on Wednesday, did not practice at all on Thursday. We'll have to see on Friday. But there's a potential if he can't go, then Saran Neal or Cam Lewis, if they call him up, is, is is at the nickel spot. Uh, John Feliciano, um, was listed with limited with an illness on Wednesday that got, uh, changed to a concussion on Thursday. So he just entered concussion protocol. We'll see where he is on Friday, but you know, not exactly promising that he was just placed into concussion protocol on Thursday in terms of getting ready for Sunday. So there might be at least one shift at the offensive line. Maybe Ike Butker goes in at left guard and he's not a great pass blocking player. And so, a guy like Malik Collins could have some success and get in the backfield. All that said, I do not expect those things to change the outcome of this game. I think the Bills passing offense is going to keep it going. I think they're, regardless of whether the Texans play man or zone, I think this is a another blow-up spot for Josh Allen and company. And I think there's probably a good chance that we end up seeing some backups by, by the end of the game. So I'm taking the Bills to win again. Um... I think I'm going to take the Bills to cover by a score of 34 to 15, which also means it hits the over just barely, but it hits the over because I think Houston will wind up getting a, either a, a late touchdown, maybe a two point conversion, something weird like that. Um, and so I'll, I'll take the Bills 34 to 15. Okay, so a lot to kind of view with this game. We, it would be a massive surprise if Houston wins this game, and we'll have a lot to talk about it if they do. But I, I think, I think the Bills are going to handle their business because they, they've been on the opposite side of this. They know what an underdog like that can do. But I think there's just too many things swaying in the Bills' favor to to make this be one that they're probably going to win. So there are going to be things that we learn from this team. And we talked about at the beginning, the offensive line, the defensive line. Uh, how does Jaquan Johnson look if, if he has to start in his first real game outside of a week 17 showing? Um, how does Stefan Diggs uh, work against a, a winnable matchup? And how does Josh, can they get on the same page again? 
all of these different little things that can help set them up for what we can talk about going forward in the season. So it, I will enjoy watching the, those things from, from that perspective to, to learn more about the team. I think this is a really good learning opportunity this weekend to know what they're actually going to be. And, and especially with such a big game coming up, but they are not overlooking it. I, I I'm pretty confident that uh, the bills are not overlooking the Texans and with the chiefs coming up after that. All right, so that's going to do it for me. The next time you'll hear from me will be after the game when uh, when the Bills and Texans game goes final. We'll record it sometime in the evening, and it'll be up and ready for you by the time you get to your Monday morning commute, maybe even uh, your your Sunday night commute if you're into that sort of thing. Or maybe if you just want to listen and, and linger and enjoy the uh, the post-game festivities, whether it's a, a win or a loss. We'll, we'll be there for you. So by all means, uh be sure to tune in for that. And if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat. There you'll find all of the stuff that uh, myself and Tim Graham write about the Bills. Uh, you can get access to coverage of any other team, any other sport, any other league that you want. It's all really awesome stuff in there. So by all means, go get your uh, your deal on your subscription. I believe it's 50% off. Go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat for 50% off a yearly subscription for your subscribers. Okay, so that'll do it. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you after the game on Sunday. See you then.